Okay, so I think the um, official definition of a disability is uh, either a, a physical or, or mental disability that somehow um, limits a person's um, sort of senses or mobility um, to perform daily tasks. And I think the correct term to refer to people with disabilities um, is to say people with disabilities, uh, not to say disabled people, mm -hmm. because when you say disabled people, you're, you're kind of framing them that that's what they are. Mm -hmm. Where when you say a person with a disability, you're saying you're recognizing that they're an individual and that they happen to have a disability. And then just speaking from my personal story, so I'm permanently wheelchair bound. Um, I was born with a genetic condition. Uh, the medical term is osteogenesis imperfecta. Otherwise, it's more commonly known as brittle bones, which is easier to remember. Um, and, and basically, it's, it has to do with my body doesn't produce enough type 1 collagen. And as a result, my bones are more fragile than the average person's. So um, I just need to be careful in my day-to-day -day life to not fall or be bumped too hard, because then it will more likely um, result in a fracture. Over to Nick. Um. I'd, uh, you know, with what Nicole said about uh, saying people with disabilities rather than a disabled person, I totally agree with that. Um, but just out of interest, uh, Smogos ran a poll about this, um, almost this exact thing, uh, about two months back. And we asked the, the general public, or the people that were following us on Facebook, um, you know, what uh, they preferred to be referred to as. Um, and uh, the vast majority actually came back and said they really don't care um, as long as you, you know, talk to them as a person. Um, so, you know, my answer to that would just be call me Nick, um, you know, rather than worrying about people with disabilities or, you know, is he disabled or whatever. Uh, Nicole and I always joke about that. Um, you know, like we are, Yes, disability is part of our lives and it is part of who we are, but it doesn't define us. And so, you know, just talk to us rather than focusing on the disability. Um, my disability is um, I've got cerebral palsy with hemiplegia. Basically broken down, this means um, brain damaged and half paralyzed. Um, and I know that sounds pretty hectic, um, but the right-hand side of my brain was damaged in a car accident when I was seven months old. And this has affected the left-hand side of my body. Um, and so I've got what you call um, gross motor movement where I can move my arms and legs, but I don't have fine motor movement, so I can't move my fingers or my toes, my ankle or my wrist. Um, so I can you know, move, just not uh, the finer motor skills. Um, I wanted to clarify this and the reason why I asked you this about disability is that I have a person with a disability, with a disability in my family and I personally feel like even knowing that person for years and years now, sometimes I feel awkward or uncomfortable at sometimes approaching the situation and I don't know if I should just not talk about the issue or just ask directly to the person. What I usually try to do is talk directly to the person and see what should I ask or shouldn't I say. Uh, but in general, I believe there's a lot of um, assumptions people make towards disabilities and a lot of fears people have towards this issue because they don't know how to approach. So my purpose today is also to inform people 
And I wanted to ask you, because I know that here in Portugal, people are still very unaware towards accessibility and towards what disability is and what it means. And so I wanted to ask you, how is the situation in South Africa? And in general, if you could share some of these mis misconceptions and assumptions people have towards disabilities, and even if you want to share some funny episode of just an absurd situation where a person was just making assumptions about you. So maybe, Nick, you're laughing, so I'll give you the word now. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk to your first point, um, yes. which is, um, you know, for me personally, um, I prefer if someone asks me, um, you know, outright, uh, mm -hmm. about my disability. Um, as you said, uh, you know, it's there, it's, uh, it's something that bugs you. And I, you know, no normally we can see that it's bugging someone. Uh, and you can always see when a conversation is, is running with something else happening in the background. Um, you know, they, they might be talking to you, but every so often they're glancing at your hand or something. That's what happens with me at least. Um, uh, and so I'd rather we discuss it you know, straight from the word go. And how I normally do this is I have like, you know, one or two icebreakers that just, you know, uh, make a joke of it. Um, you know, like I call my, my, my limp, my 50 cent limp, um, it's a gangster limp, because um, every gangster, you know, has this like cool walk. Mine's built in. Um, and then uh, my friends call my arm the claw uh, from a Jim Carrey movie. Um, and so, you know, and I also, I got a, an upgrade. So my arm used to be really bent uh, and now I've got a fused wrist. So, you know, I talk about my arm being upgraded, um, half man, half machine kind of thing. Um, and so that's what I, you know, prefer. Um, when I was a kid, this is why I was chuckling is when I was a kid in school, um, people used to make up the craziest stories and it's not that they were trying to just be funny or anything. They literally didn't know what was going wrong uh, or what was going on. So, uh, you know, they would say like, um, you, you have breathing problems because um, that's what made sense to them. Uh, or uh, another one was that you I promise you this came out. Um, my dad was in the army and he came home and accidentally shot me in my arm. Um, which is, is not the truth at all. Um, but that was a story that came out because again, that's what made sense to them. Um, so, you know, I think to be clear, just ask about it and it's better. I mean, surely, I mean, sure you have to look at the person, uh, on a personal level, if they're very, in, um, insecure about it, then you don't want to ask them. Um, but where you can, I would say, be pretty upfront with them and say, you know, I'm just curious you know what happened to you and then normally we would like to discuss it thank you yeah. what about you nicole um so i must i must agree with with nick's sentiments um i do agree that you know i would rather you just ask me you know like he said you can kind of pick it up when they when they may be feeling a bit awkward or they they don't know how to say it and um and you know honestly i would say just just ask me um, and sometimes what I'll do, like Nick, is that if I can pick up that someone is a bit awkward, then I bring it up. Mm. Um, then I will, I will just bring it up. And, um, and, I, and like Nick said, I will try to add a bit of humor or a bit of lightheartedness to it so they don't uh, 
you know, that it doesn't make them feel more uncomfortable or anything like that. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, because I think people do make a lot of assumptions. I think in my case, it's often that I must have been in a car accident. Uh, they don't realize that I was born with my disability. So they'll say things to me like, Cheng, so when was the accident? Or, or something like that. And then I have to go, no, that it, I wasn't in an accident, you know? Um, and then to go back to one of the other questions that you asked about how things are in South Africa, mm. it's interesting because you must remember, and, and Nick can also add on to this later, is uh, we, we are very diverse culturally in South Africa. So I also think that you can't say that like one shoe fits all. I think it does vary across the different cultures. Mm. Um, so I think that there are some cultures where perhaps there is still a bit more of a stigma attached to disability, um, where often um, family members maybe don't know how to handle it. So they just end up um, keeping the disabled family member at home. And then they're like, okay, well, we just have to look after them because, you know, maybe they, they're not able to be educated or they're not able to work, where in fact they are. But I think it's just a lack of understanding. You know, I don't think it's coming from a malicious place. I think it's just people maybe need to be more educated about disability um, in, in that scenario. Uh, you know, in, in my personal experience, um, I was quite fortunate that um, I think my mom managed to get that very delicate balance right, where she never um, tried to underplay my disability. She always recognized that it was there. But like Nick mentioned earlier, she was like, it's a part of you, but it doesn't define you. So you're going to go to school and you can work and you can have friends and you can, you know, she never, ever tried to stop me from, from doing that. And I think that was, that was really, really important, you know. I don't know if Nick wants to add anything else here. Um, just on the accessibility. Um, so, you know, uh, things are becoming slightly more accessible, um, you know, but it's still got a long way to go here in, in South Africa. Uh, you know, it, it's, um, I think it's a must now for buildings to be accessible, um, you know, in terms of like um, plans and things, but how the buildings actually are accessible is a different story or how much they are accessible is a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole and I have been to many buildings where they will say that they are wheelchair accessible, and then you get there, and the first thing is you meet, you meet with the step um, at the entrance of the building. So you haven't even got into the building, and then there's the step. Um, and that's just one, you know, one thing, because obviously we look at it from a wheelchair perspective um, quite often. But, you know, if you speak to, um, people who are deaf or people who are blind, they'll have similar um, experiences. So I think we have quite a far way to go in terms of general accessibility, but I think we are slowly getting there. Mm -hmm. You raised uh, some very interesting points. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, were you always uh, so open uh, about your disability? Because you were saying that you, you both prefer the, the two of you prefer just being uh, asked or you introduce it with humor, but was it always the case for you or there was a shift in your mindset towards Nicole, what Nick that. maybe would define as a growth mindset? Yes. yes. Um, sure, if I, if I go first. Um, so again, I think my circumstance is a bit different because I was born with my disability, so I, I didn't know anything else, so there wasn't like a you know, something that I could compare to from before. Um, 
But I think growing up, um, I did have uh, far more insecurities and issues about being disabled and being different. And all I wanted to do was just fit in, and I didn't. Um, but I think it was, I think it was a point that I reached in my in my life. I can't remember the exact age. I must have been maybe late teens, early twenties. Um, that I did come to that that acceptance mm -hmm. that this is my situation, and it's not going to change. Mm -hmm. So what I what I do have in my power is, as Nick would say, my mindset. So I can choose to live my life to the best of my ability, and um, and and that was when I think I had the shift, and then I started to become a lot more open. Mm -hmm. um, for me, um, I can honestly say it did start from a younger age. Um, when I I used to go to a when I first went to school, I started in a special needs school, um, and then at the age of eight, I under uh, underwent some tests, and uh, the psychologists and a whole bunch of other specialists said that I had the capabilities to uh, be mainstreamed, which means to go to a normal school. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, I'm 36 years old now, and um, back then, when I was a child, um, you know, integrated schooling wasn't a thing. Um, and so to have a disabled person or a person with a disability uh, in a, you know, in inverted commas, normal school um, was different. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when I went to, or when I was finally allowed into a, a normal school, um, I was luckily put with a remedial teacher in standard one. And, uh, I found it challenging, uh, and the kids found it challenging as well. I went through quite a lot of teasing and things. And, uh, the teacher actually said to me, um, you know, the only person who can change this is you. And, um, if if you don't tell them the story, then they're going to make up their own stories. Um, and so in standard one, um, it wasn't for a prepared speech or it wasn't for marks or anything. Uh, she got me to stand up and tell the class my story. And this was in standard one when I was about nine years old. And um, every year she called me back to her same standard one class and I had to give a speech to them every year until I finished school um, because I was slowly educating the school on what it is to have a disability and, and you know, my situation so that it wasn't something strange to them. Um, so I became used to, you know, talking about it quite early on. Mm -hmm. That actually brings me to the other uh, point I wanted to introduce which was how then do we change things both at a level of the mindset of people but also in terms of accessibility but i believe you answered the question it, the importance of speaking up and normalizing uh, disability the way you do i think it's really the way to go and and what do you think uh, of course in your in your case we're talking about south africa uh, i'm curious to understand how this change operates who pressures uh, governments and uh, are they usually up to NGOs or the government takes that into consideration and they make efforts and how do you think how do you see things changing in the future uh, so from my understanding it would actually be something that's driven by the, the government mm -hmm. um, 
So we do have a, um, a minister that um, does um, look over people with disabilities. And, and I, you know, I think that a lot of these regulations would be um, coming from, from that side on being more accessible and things like that. Um, yeah, and in terms of um, where, the, where the future goes, I mean, I think it's, it's you know, in, in my perspective, it's a bit of both. I mean, I, I still think there's, there's a lot of importance from, uh, you know, on the government, but I think it's also every individual. You know, with, with every um, person that Nick and I have met, um, we have in some way um, changed their way of thinking. You know, I've had so many friends that have said to me that, you know, after they met me, they, they you know, began to see things differently. And when they saw someone parking in a disabled parking lot who wasn't disabled, they would confront them. Or they would go to a building and they would suddenly recognize how inaccessible the place is. So I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that like will fan out exponentially. So I think as disabled people start to become a bit more empowered and become more educated and, um, and, and start to become more integrated in the workplace and as they meet more and more people, that's my perspective that it will clean up the Yeah, I, I agree with what Nicole was saying. You know, in terms of, you know, making things change, um, unfortunately, uh, changes, especially like physical accessibility changes, take money. Uh, and some companies are not going to be willing to spend that money just because they want to. Um, so it would take something like a government policy uh, to almost force them to do so. Um, but I, I totally agree with what Nicole was saying. You know, yes, it has to come from the top down. So the government has to say, because of the SDGs, and because of the you know United Nations and, and all of those um, you know these things have to happen, but then I also think it has to happen from the bottom up. You know, if we as people with disabilities just sit back and play the victim and say you know oh it's inaccessible I'm not going to go uh, or whatever, then it's you know our fault as well. So we have to stand up and say you know make this more accessible for us and we'll help you do that. And also that's a very important thing is and I know Nicole will agree, is it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, we just have to see that you've made an effort. You know, we'll meet you halfway. Um, you know, we've gone through, we've gone to places where there's been uh, a ramp and it's been way too steep for a, a person in a wheelchair, but we've pushed, you know, Nicole up. Um, and we don't shout at the place or anything because this, the wheelchair ramp is too steep. You know, at least there's a wheelchair ramp. Um, and yes, uh, you know, there are ways to improve that and things, but, um, you know, there are uh, changes that need to happen from both sides. Yes, and that's why Smergos exists, I believe. So maybe we can talk a little bit about Smergos. Uh, I open the, the question to whoever wants to speak. Mm -hmm. Can you let us know how Smergos was born? Okay, Nick. Uh Return. <laughs> <clears throat> um, it was, I think, about eight, uh, eight years ago or so, um, where I was uh, racking my brain for a birthday gift for Nicole, and um, we'd been pretty good friends for a while, and I knew uh, that it had to be something cool, uh, and I couldn't just go out and get her like you know some average gift that would be lame, um, and so. For like two or three weeks, I racked my brain and I couldn't think of anything. 
and uh, this is a true story. Um, at 7.30 on a Saturday morning, I was lying in bed and I literally, I don't know if you've had that, but I woke up and I had the answer. Like it just, it was there. Um, I shut up and I was like, it has to be a wheelchair bag. Um, because a thing that, uh, you know, bugged me and, and because I saw it with Nicole is uh, Nicole with her wheelchair, things are always falling off it, getting lost, damaged or broken. Um, and so that's why the wheelchair bag um, was just a non-starter. You know, it was a great idea. Um, but then I also wanted something that could be personalized. Um, you know, have something cool on the back, like that's how I roll. Um, and so uh, I hopped onto Google while sitting in bed. Um, I hopped onto Google and tried to find um, the, the bag. And I found one or two products locally, but they weren't really impressive. Um, and then I did find some from overseas, uh, but the problem is they weren't exactly what I was looking for. And also there was an overseas price tag. Um, for those of you who are not South African, the exchange rate is definitely not in our favor. And so if you're buying something in uh, US dollars, it costs a ton of money. Um, and so, you know, for me to look at buying and Nicole something for a birthday gift that costs me like 2000 Rand is a non-starter. Um, you know, we're good friends, but not that good. Um, <laughs> and then um, with me being the person that I am um, and my mindset that I have, uh, maybe the average person would have gone, oh, well, I can't find it. Um, but instead, what I did was I thought, hold on, there's an opportunity here. Um, so, I, again, this is a true story. Mm -hmm. I uh, phoned Nicole and I said to her, um, be at my house at three o'clock. I have something that I want to share with you that's going to change a lot of lives. And I hung up the phone because I'm a man of mystery. Um, luckily, she arrived at three o'clock because otherwise Smogos wouldn't have been born. Um, but she arrived at three o'clock and I told her the idea and uh, we started from there. So that's where Smogos was born. That's a beautiful story. And can you let us know on a more practical level now that Smogos is already rolling, uh, what do you do on a practical level and how do you keep changing lives? So do you, you, you have the personalized products, the wheelchair products, and what else are you doing at the moment? Nicole? Sure. So we, yeah, so we started off with a range of wheelchair bags and um, they varied styles. Uh, so you can get bigger ones uh, that can fit onto the back of the wheelchair. So for example, if you wanted to carry a laptop or um, maybe some um, extra equipment, that's what it could be used for. And then we also have uh, smaller bags um, that then are closer to the person's body, like more by their lap. So that if you wanted to keep your cell phone or your wallet, then it's easily accessible for you. Um, since then, we have also expanded out to a, a raincoat poncho. Um, because um, for anyone that is wheelchair bound that is uh, listening to this, um, you'll know that uh, an umbrella is not practical because you can't hold it and push at the same time. And neither is a raincoat because all it does is just puddle, the water just puddles on your lap. So we designed the raincoat in such a way that um, it's angled, the fabric, so that it, it just um, flows off your lap. And, um, and we're also experimenting with some plastics, but we haven't launched those products yet. So really, these products, um, what they do is that they give the individual um, 
you know, more confidence, more independence, um, because they're able to move um, in the world with more mobility um, than they had before. Uh, we have also done some work with uh, local disabled sports teams, uh, where we design products that help them, uh, you know, for, for example, certain uh, training equipment, um, or if we help them to carry, perhaps they've got spare wheels that they carry when they travel, we've designed bags like that as well. Uh, so that's the product side of it. Uh, then we've also uh, launched a more um, social side of it, uh, which uh, links into what we were talking about earlier about breaking down those barriers um, with people with disabilities and those without. Uh, so before the whole COVID pandemic happened, uh, we did start to do these social events. Uh, we would do them in person and they could be anything. It could be something like just looking for a coffee um, or it could be doing board games. Um, you know, but it was just to bring people together and create a, a sort of feeling of community and, um, and fun, you know. Uh, but then, then the COVID pandemic hit, we were supposed to have our more recent event just as, the, as we went into lockdown in South Africa. And that was when uh, Nick and I had the idea, well, then why don't we bring it online? Because people are at home, a lot of people are staying by themselves, so they need that opportunity to connect. Uh, so we've started to do these weekly um, online calls, uh, Zoom calls, and, uh, and as again, we encourage everyone to join. And it's been really great. We've been growing in numbers. Um, and in one of the calls, Nick actually also gave a, a talk on growth mindset, which was also very well received. Yes, I don't know if Nick wants to add anything to that. Um, the only thing I'd like to add is one other pro um, product that uh, we want to really launch is um, the chair tee, uh, which is a t-shirt for the wheelchair. Uh, and the idea behind that is you can pick uh, from a range of different um, designs and things uh, to print onto that uh, t-shirt that's going to slip onto the back of your wheelchair. And I always explain it by saying, you know, why do you wear the clothes you wear? It's to say something about yourself. And uh, when you have a, when a person is in a wheelchair, often their body gets almost absorbed by this big black or gray thing. Uh, and now you're giving them the opportunity to have their personality uh, extended onto their chair. So the chair becomes part of their personality. Um, and also it becomes a great icebreaker. Uh, for example, Nicole has one um, that says, I can't stand sitting. Um, and that's quite well received by the public. Uh, you know, they'll come up, they'll chuckle, and then, you know, they start chatting from there. I love, I love what, what you're doing. And above all, um, I love that you try to first understand what problems are there to solve and don't make any assumptions. And you could have just started Smergles and do one or two product, products, but it's very obvious that you year by year or even month by month, I believe, you try to understand what are the problems in the community and you try to solve them. And not even talking about the social, uh, social responsibility uh, work that you do and the, all the speeches and all the events. So one question I would like to ask you, um, because I personally feel more and more attracted to social enterprises, I, I think it's the way to go. Uh, do you personally feel like this, is, this will be the future? Where do you think we will go in terms of this? Because it really seems like the only viable solution. I think the COVID 
19, uh, I don't know, in South Africa, my assumption is that it also accent accentuated all the differences and the, all the inequalities. So there's, I, I, I open this question to you regarding social enterprises and the future of businesses. Yes, absolutely. We've had the similar thing happen in South Africa, where, as you say, we've, we've clearly seen um, the people that are suffering and those class differences um, has really been brought to the front. And I think, um, you know, now more than ever, um, I think people are looking to support brands um, that have a, a purpose or a meaning behind them, you know. Um, and, um, you know, they're almost called like, like micro-influencers. So maybe you have between 1,000 and 3,000 um, followers. Um, but it's, it's those that are actually really valuable because it's, it's those 1,000 people that will um, support you and follow you throughout the you know, throughout your time because they, they, um, they support what you're doing. So I do agree with you that I think now more than ever, um, social enterprises are going to be growing um, and, and people want to support brands that are making a difference. Uh, and then in terms of your, converse, your comment about um, companies for profit and then um, social companies, um, I, I listened to a talk quite a while ago um, that argued the point that why do they have to be different? Uh, why can't a social company be driven by both profit and um, making a social difference? Um, you know, I think that's a big problem that we have is, you know, you've got NGOs or non-government organizations or, you know, um, donation-based um, things, and everybody sees them as almost bad, and they're, by definition, not really meant to make a profit. Um, but the truth is, why not? Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, all donation-based things need to make a profit. But the thing is, in order for them to be successful and make more change, surely they need to have some form of profit um, to make it better, to make it bigger, to make it more viable for investors. Um, and, and then likewise, if you take a company that's making a lot of profit, why can't they do the opposite? Why can't they say, we're making a lot of profit now let's shift some of that to become a social side um you know so it can happen as much from an ngo to making profit side but also from a profit side to moving into a more social space mm -hmm. and and we i had a, a class on unconscious leadership and conscious capitalism and one of the things we talked about because i'm very curious to see where where the future of businesses uh what what it will be like but I feel like just like people evolve and we have, I gave this example actually in the class and we have the Maslow pyramid of, of needs that mm -hmm. humans self-actualize and when they have their basic needs assured, they can then evolve and go mm -hmm. up the pyramid. I also kind of, I, I thought of the same thing about corporations. Like once we had to make corporations, we had to organize groups of people to, to serve the needs uh, and then and they would create profit. But just like that happened, it doesn't mean that we have to stay the same. And then we, now we can evolve to just combine NGOs with normal companies and, and continue to produce because we need the production yeah. part, but, always with the, but also with the social responsibility part and not as some bullshit thing. So yeah. I, I, really hope, I really hope that's the future. Let's see. <laughs> I think that's very cool. And I wanted to also also leave the question, where do you see Smergos in the future? Um, well, obviously, you know, 
it's going to be massive and it's going to take over the world and, and you know things like that i mean that goes without saying um <laughs> but um uh on a, on a honestly um my my image and uh, i've spoken to nicole about this many times uh i can i can paint you a picture of exactly what it's going to look like in the future um but uh very quickly my image is uh one of those big airplane hangers that you get um and it's going to have a, a racetrack kind of thing inside it and then around the outer edge are going to be all the different divisions that are working within Smogos so that they can uh, operate next to each other but also work with each other so you know you can have the engineers working in the engineering side and they can walk over to um, the 3d printing people and say let's try this um, and it's all on one level um, so that everybody can move around freely um, and you know everyone's um, an equal in terms of you know hierarchy obviously we'll have you know managing things but um, in our company, as it is already, um, we don't have a very strict hierarchy. Uh, you know, we're all in here, we're all working together. And so that kind of thing would um, happen there as well. Um, and so that's the idea, the, you know, the pie in the sky idea. But also from a, from a general perspective, obviously right now, uh, we are producing accessories for wheelchairs. Um, because that's, um, you know, kind of easy for us because of Nicole's uh, life experiences. But um, we do aim to eventually diversify our products to meet the needs of many uh, different um, disabilities. You know, for example, my disability, uh, and not again, not only physical disabilities, but mental disabilities as well, uh, because my uh, sister has Down syndrome, and I see the challenges that she goes through. Um, and so, you know, we want to create job opportunities for people with disabilities. We want to create products for the people with disabilities, uh, break down barriers and make the world, you know, more equal. And I think that's the big um, idea for Smogos. Yes, sounds like a very cool idea. <laughs> Thank you. And on a different note, um, and on a very personal one as well, do you ever get tired of talking about your disability? Um, I don't think that I get tired of it, to be honest with you. Um, I do understand what you're saying, um, you know, that you have to repeat the story often, um, especially myself um, being single and then meeting, uh, you know, every time I, I, I meet a guy, then I have to go through the whole thing of explaining it again. But I wouldn't say that I, I get tired of it. I almost think I go into autopilot. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like I think I kind of just go into autopilot and I just I I know it so well now that I just go through the motions, I would say. I don't know if Nick agrees. Totally. <laughs> you know, like I was mentioned earlier, you know, I'm I'm single and you know, I think I think dating is hard enough as it is. Mm. You know, but I think when when you don't have a disability you know, a lot of people, how do I say, like they, they put their best selves first when you first meet someone. And whatever baggage or issues that they have, they, they you know, they, they sort of hide it and then only expose it later. Mm -hmm. I don't have that option, as Nick said. It's like, here I am. Mm -hmm. and, and then you'll either find guys that go, oh, that's not for me, or you'll get the guys that go, that's cool. I'm open to that, you know. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it really is a bullshit, uh, bullshit filter. filter. And, and I think that's what, like Nick was saying, is that I think, you know, um, 
how do I say, the, the friendships that we have are really meaningful. Mm -hmm. Like I have the most amazing group of friends. And none of them are, are superficial people. You know, none of them, as you say, are worried about looking cool on Instagram and, <laughs> and all that kind of thing. And it, so I think maybe the quality of our relationships are more um, meaningful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now more on a final note. Um, Nicole, what final message would you like to give to people regarding disability, accessibility, or really just in general? If you could give a message to everyone on earth, what would that message be? Oh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think it would just be to, um, you know, the, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you know, the, the fear that people have. And, and I understand why it's there. Um, you know, I don't judge it at all. But I think it's, it's trying to, I would say, um, perhaps be more open-minded and just be more, you know, sort of put those, those um, feelings of fear aside and, um, and just be open to, to speaking and connecting with people that maybe don't look or sound the same way that we do, um, that they're still a human being. You know, and um, and um, and you know, just be a little bit kind to to everyone um, every day. I think that's the most um, the most important thing. And and I think the change is happening. Um, I think we have progressed. You know, if, if we have to think where we were with disability, perhaps a generation or two ago from now, um, I think we have progressed. As I said, I think while there is still a lot to be done, I think we have made improvements and. And people with disabilities are becoming more integrated into general society than they were before. Um, so I think it's just a case of just pushing that. And, and like we spoke about before, it comes from both sides. So it comes from the people with the disabilities, but also within society as a whole, that we break down those barriers, you know? Mm -hmm. so that's fun for me. Thank you for your answer. I agree with you very much. And finally, Nick, adding to what Nicole said, what would an ideal world look like to you? Having um, all of this in mind. Uh, and we already know about Smergos, of course. Yeah, um, I think I would like to um, answer it from a slightly different angle uh, in terms of like what I'd like to you know, share with people is um, my, my life mantras. I have two of them. Uh, the, the first and the, the one that drives me the most um, is the greatest risk is not taking one. Um, and that drives me every day to do almost anything. You know, uh, if I feel that I sit and I, I wonder or I think, what if, um, I immediately step out of that and I say, I've got to do it. Um, because the greatest risk is not taking one. Um, and the important thing, and it does link to what Nicole was saying, is, um, you know, linking to fear. Yes, of course, there's going to be fear. And yes, of course, you can risk failure. Um, but the whole thing about it is, um, and especially, you know, being a person with a disability, you fail more often than not, uh, you know, when you're doing something. Uh, and that is to accept that that's going to happen. Um, and also to accept that life is some of all your experiences. And so if you sit in a cushioned area, and you don't take risks and you don't live life, 
then you don't have a life to live. So rather go out there and, you know, take life on, um, you know, take the risks um, and learn from them. And then you can also make active decisions and active choices um, based on those experiences. So, you know, try something out and if it works, great. But if it doesn't, that's okay. Um, and if you want to do it again, you learn from that experience and you'll change your approach or you'll do it and then you'll find out actually it didn't work. And now I know I don't want to do it. Um, you know, so that's, that's the one thing. And then the other is, um, that I also say that, um, every challenge is an obstacle waiting to be overcome. Um, again, just saying, you know, if you want to really do it, you will find a way to do it. Uh, you might not find the usual way, but you will find a way. Um, just a, a funny example for me is if I had to give you a, a bottle with a screw on cap and ask you to open the bottle, uh, you would take it, put it in the one hand and take your other hand and open it, right? And if I had to ask you to do this in five different ways, um, you probably wouldn't be able to. Um, however, I do personally have five different ways of opening a bottle, uh, which is a screw cap. Um, and that's because I've had to, you know, again, every obstacle is a challenge waiting to be overcome. I want that bottle open. I'm going to figure out a way to do that. Yes, thank you. I believe this is a lesson for anyone really about fear, about courage, about how to overcome challenges, like you were saying. Uh, I think this is the way to end it, really. You said it all, Nick and Nicole. <laughs> Thank, you, <laughs> Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure having you here and having this honest conversation with you. From the bottom of my heart, I'm truly grateful for this opportunity. And I hope you enjoy it as well. No, thank you very much for the opportunity as well. I mean, um, I kind of feel like a superstar. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, thank you, dear listener, for connecting with us. And I hope you enjoy as much as at least I did. And wishing you a wonderful day. Bye, guys.